Focus on winning the hour, whatever hours you have and keep pushing forward and align on your strategy and your ultimate goal versus just kind of like these plans that can change. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, we have Jessica O. Matthews. Jessica is the founder and CEO of Uncharted Power, an award-winning full-service power and data infrastructure company. At the age of 19, Jessica invented the Socket Ball, an energy-generating soccer ball that provides off-grid power for the developing world. At the age of 22, she founded Uncharted Power, previously Uncharted Play, a global full-service power technology company that builds owns, and operates renewable power infrastructure. Jessica was invited by President Barack Obama to the White House to represent small companies for the signing of the America Invents Act in 2012, and previously served as an ambassador of entrepreneurship for Nigeria. In 2016, she was selected to ring the NASDAQ opening ceremony bell, representing all Forbes 30 Under 30 alumni. She is currently listed on 11 patents and patents pending, covering developments in energy generation, transmission, and storage. A dual citizen of Nigeria and the U.S., Jessica has a degree in psychology and economics from Harvard University and an MBA from the Harvard Business School. I can't wait for you to hear Jessica's story. Let's go. This podcast is all about side hustling. So first things first, I want to get a peek into the life of Jessica. Tell us a bit more about who you are and what was your first experience with side hustling? It's funny when you frame side hustling, right? Because you, I, 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 usually it means that you, you're working on something while you're employed someplace else. Um, and usually you have to be careful how you speak about that because right. companies these days will have you sign something that says that if you're working on anything, you know, you you either shouldn't be working on anything else in parallel or we own it, um, and definitely not if you use any of our equipment. And so for me, you know, I was very fortunate, one, um, to get started in this space while I was in college, and normally even colleges are trying to take your IP or your ownership. So it's an interesting thing to navigate. I started out in this energy space out of a class project. It was a class project at my undergrad called Idea. The class was called Idea Translation, Affecting Change Through Art and Science. And it was basically an engineering course for non-engineers. And it gave you some resources to make things without taking IP. And that I thought was really exciting. So that's how I started to tinker and invent and think through the, uh, you know, the creation of our first products and our business while I was in school. And, um, you know, for me... I'm Nigerian, so <laughs> I could never just bop out of school, right? Like, I know, like, Mark Zuckerberg or whoever, and, you know, Bill Gates all bopped out of school. My mom was like, where's, is that <laughs> right, right. Like, that's like, they don't want to hear that. So I, first, for me, my business was a side hustle to being an undergraduate. Then, you know, I ran my business for about two years in New York before then Going back to business school, I'd already gotten in. I just deferred for two years, and there was no world where my mother or parents were going to let me not go back to business school. So then I spent two years where my where I was a full time business school student and running my business. Um, and so, so, so it was wild too because when I first graduated from uh, from undergrad. I actually had gotten another job. I was working at a startup. I was the first female hire. I made sure not to use any of their equipment or anything like that. But again, still, while I was running that startup, it was a side hustle. So I would say that, you know, for me, I got into this when I was 19 in some form or another. Um, This version of the company got founded uh, when I was like 22 um, in, in 2011. But this whole thing started for me even before that. And so over the course of like the gosh, 13 years of my experience with this company, 10 years um, almost now in May, in, in May of running Uncharted Power, I was in some form, quote unquote, side hustling for one, two, three, at least five or six of them. Wow. <laughs> um, and so I, I can definitely relate to having to basically push yourself to be 
more than human. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you mentioned undergrad and, and business school and having had those experiences myself. I know what I was doing in undergrad and it wasn't working on a, <laughs> a business or working on something that could one day become a business that changes lives. And so the focus and the level of just responsibility that you had at that age is really, really impressive to me. And then to continue evolving on it, knowing that, okay, maybe it's not in its right state right now, but this can become something is even more impressive. So in undergrad, what was the idea initially and what inspired you to start working on it? Yeah. You know, so I think one thing that you said that I really liked was this word evolution. And that is the number one thing I think people need to have when you're deciding that you're going to be an individual who creates impact. Um, Impact is not linear, right? Disruption is inherently a messy word, right? It's not, disruption doesn't, when you visualize it in your mind, it's not something that's clean and neat and organized. And I often see individuals who have the trappings of, of, of a leader, the trappings of someone who can create the world that we want, you know, versus the world that we're living in. I often sometimes see that these individuals are paralyzed in fear of thinking that they have to think everything through. I think that they have to know the entire roadmap of what they're going to be before they've even started. And, and that's just so incredibly unrealistic. Um, you know, so for me, I got into the energy space because my family needed it. Uh, I'm a dual citizen of Nigeria and the United States. And I spent enough time in Nigeria and saw my own family in Nigeria. My father lives there. Most of my cousins live there being directly affected by not having access to reliable cost-effective power, you know? And so, and it was one of those things that masqueraded as socioeconomic, but it was truly infrastructural because people in Nigeria and places like Nigeria are actually paying more per kilowatt hour than we are here in the United States, but they don't have a system to pay into. They don't have a Con Ed or whatever power company. So whatever they are paying into, it's, it's, it's just, it's failing infrastructure that means that they have to rely on their own resources. They have to rely on kerosene lamps. They have to rely on, you know, diesel generators. And these things are horrible for the environment. And I think equally important, horrible for the people living on the planet. And so that, this is something I always knew was a big issue, but I also was like, infrastructure is scary. It's big. It's for other people to solve. It's not for me. So what can I even potentially do? I wasn't sure at the time, but I kind of, it was something that's kind of like stayed with me. Um, something that really hit home when I was in Nigeria, when I was 17 for my aunt's wedding. Um, and something that stayed with me for a bit. And then that following year, the year, my senior year before I went to college, three members of my family passed away. My uncle, my aunt, she's actually, who is younger than I am right now. I'm, I'm 32. I think she's about 30. And my grandfather all passed away and they're all my, you know, my mother's side of the family. And it was one of those things that it, it felt like it could have been avoided if they lived in a world that had more reliable infrastructure. It felt like things could have at least been somewhat delayed or, or better responded mm -hmm. to, right? Like what happens if you go to the hospital and the hospital doesn't have power? Um, and I, you know, thought back even to the times that weren't as dire when my own cousins would, tell me just to get used to it when I'd be breathing in the fumes from the kerosene lamps or the diesel generators and saying I, I, I could barely breathe, I could barely function. Um, and these are cousins who are engineers, right? These are cousins who had, again, like I said, the, the ability to do things. Um, and so I had always grown up really loving to tinker, really loving like the idea of science and invention. I idolized Bill Nye the Science Guy. I, I, at this time right now, very much like to envision myself as like the love child of Beyonce. And the <laughs> That's the new one. Everything I do. Um, and, you know, so the idea was like, well, what can I potentially invent? And I'm like, I don't think I can solve this problem. I think it's so scary and so big um, at the time. I don't know, you know, <laughs> if I'm a scientist, I don't know what I am, but I'm a human being with observations and I can at least try and I wanted to invent something that would bridge the gap between what's working and what's not working for my own family. And I know that, you know, one thing that I saw was when my cousins were playing soccer, when they were kind of out and about in the field um, or the pitch, 
that's when all their passion and excitement about life would show up. That's when they would dare themselves to be so much more than what was possible. And I wanted to find a way to bottle that and bring that off the pitch to the way they address the problems of the world with the hope that I could inspire enough people who were, in my mind, better suited to address the infrastructure issues of the world, the energy problems of the world, to get up and realize that they had agency. And so the first invention was a play product. It was an energy generating soccer ball that uh, could harness the energy from play with the ball um, and store that power inside of the ball. So you could use it as like a one-for-one -one replacement with a kerosene lamp, not even a diesel generator. Sure, we can get um, into that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can walk through all the things about the prototypes and all of that, but let's lean us to say like the first first prototype, the first first prototype was a shape to charge flashlight inside of a hamster ball that I bought at Target. Right? Like I rolled the hamster ball back and forth with the shape to charge flashlight, pulled out the shape to charge flashlight, put it on and said, see, you can you can, this is a reasonable way to be able to harness power through play so that people can see this as something that's a bit more tangible. See this big, scary world as something that they can actually make a difference in. I love what you said about impact is not linear. I just want to revisit that for a second because I think that is so, so important. I know so many people who are listening right now as side hustlers who believe they have to have 15 different steps ahead into the future figured out. And it you're right, paralyzed people from taking one step, not realizing that the iterative nature of side hustling and of entrepreneurship will allow you to live yourself into the answers. There's a quote that I really love that is about, you know, you're not gonna figure it out on your own. You have to live the answer. I think it's from Deepak Chopra. <laughs> you have to live your way into that answer. So you had to do some living. You had to figure things out. So once you left undergrad, what were your plans? You knew you were coming back to business school, but what was your initial career plan after that? So when I left undergrad, I remember, I remember in my application to business school senior year talking about applied psychology and running a think tank someday. That's what I thought I wanted to do. I went to go and work for a startup where I was kind of mixing like my understanding of social science with um, the, how it could be applied to building like basically online communities um, and basically selling products to them, right? So net promoter score and all of that stuff. Um, and, but then on the side, yeah, I was running this company and like, I, you know, the, we had gone through a couple of amalgamations of it or whatever um, in undergrad that made no sense. I was like, okay, we have to actually create a more legit platform that can scale beyond just this invention concept. And so let's see here. I think I, I graduated in uh, the summer of 2010. And in January of 2011, like, you know, had this basically started to formulate the concept of Uncharted Play, which was the original name of the company. And for me, it was kind of like my plans were to have a whole lot of fucking fun with this because why the fuck not? Like, at the end of the day, there are two things that I would say kind of guided the way I was moving things. One, I knew once I had gotten into business school, I knew that I had two years to kind of do whatever the hell felt right because the worst case scenario is that everything failed and I went to business school. So I kind of had these two years to say, let's see, let's see, right? And again, sometimes the best way to soar is to take the assumptions, take the kind of like the weight of it off your shoulders and be like, you know what, do you? And again, for me, you know, I, I'm Nigerian, so I'm not the first child, I'm not the firstborn son, and I'm not the baby. I'm the second girl. I had no responsibilities. Like, I, like <laughs> no one even cares that I exist. I barely have a name, right? Like, it, like, it puts the lotion on its skin half the time. Like, I'm just like, okay. So, what's the harm of me? You could get away with a little bit. I think that it's more like, I, I'm not going to be the... the the disappointment of the family to just lean into this a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, I had already added economics to my uh, as a minor in college um, because my older sister had lied to, she's the firstborn, had lied to my father, my very Nigerian father, for all four years that she was an economics major, only to find out on graduation day that she was a film major. So <laughs> just by the fact that I had added economics and could prove that I had that experience and had gotten into business school, I was no, I, I had some space. And so 
in my mind, I was like, okay, I believe that luck is an acronym. It stands for laboring under correct knowledge. And it was incredibly lucky for me to have had a concept like the socket that would capture people's hearts and minds and souls the way it did. And in my mind, I was like, I don't know when next I might be so lucky. So I'm going to squeeze as much out of this and not frigidly, like not inflexibly, but really understanding the, the essence of what this is, the concept of what it was that captured people. It wasn't saying let's make a bazillion soccer balls necessarily, but this concept of people who look like us solving massive problems in a way that's accessible and tangible and inspirational, right? Um, and so I decided to lean into that. And so, you know, for me, when I left school, I was like, I'm, I have this job and I'm going to see how far this goes. Um, and in that way, I kind of, you know, first created the Uncharted, created the Uncharted Play, started to push and experiment with this, different business models, learned a lot on the job, to say the least. Like, um, I like to say, I don't know how to swim, but I know how not to drown, right? Like, so if you just throw someone in a deep end, whatever weird way they've learned how not to drown is like what I was <laughs> doing. Um, it wasn't like a perfect stroke, but it was something. And I told myself, okay, Jess, like the goal is to win the hour. So rather than trying to come up with this massive strategy for the next right. 10 years, you know, focus on what you think are the most important things to drive this idea forward today and try to spend the majority of your hours doing that. You know, so there's 24 hours in a day. You want to try to get so like, I kind of didn't always figure out the sleep thing. I had to figure that out. The sleep is also part of the solution is also part of productivity. But if I win most of the hours of the day, that's great. If I win most of the days of the week, and I've won that week, weeks of the month, months of the year, and then all of a sudden, you see that incrementally, you've made massive progress, assuming you are very clear on your North Star, right, of what you're ultimately trying to do. And you'll find that you're comfortable pivoting as necessary, and you're, you're pushing forward. And the, the result was a company that went from soccer balls um, and jump ropes and play products to a platform for, for all things that move to a company that, especially after business school, when I had the confidence, the kahunas, um, to say, oh no, no, I think maybe we can push this, to a company that ended up solving the problem I always wanted to solve from the beginning, I just never thought it would be me, uh, which is the infrastructure solutions that we actually need. Mm. So to take it back for just a, a bit, before you went to business school, so you had spent some time raising funds for the business. And then I understand you also presented what was then the socket focused ball, like, you know, when it was called that socket, you presented that for the Clinton Global Initiative. You even were invited on President Barack's uh, trip to Tanzania. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like, this is a pretty amazing um, things that you were doing. So how did that come about? When did you start? How did you start to generate that kind of attention? While uh, I was still an undergrad, uh, like, in the, like the group of us, like we, we just started to apply for different grants, you know, <laughs> and to be honest, like, I think this is where I was very lucky, right? So what was the moment when I decided it wouldn't be a side hustle? My moment is like, it's a privilege. I feel blessed and most people don't have it. Right. We had applied and, and gotten like a $1,500 grant from Clinton Global Initiative University, CGIU. And so they knew about our product, project, our product. And they invited um, us to be on stage. At that time, things were kind of wild and crazy as we were transitioning from the group project group into like a real company and determining who was just kind of, you know, doing nothing and who was actually there. You know, that, <laughs> right. so there was some messy stuff happening because I was like, why? You're slave. You've got to go. You've got to go. So all that stuff happened. Right. But um, um, so I was like, okay, let's go. And so I was still working for the other company. Uh, this was like April of 2011. Um, I think, it, I think it was like, it was like April, March of 2011. Um, but like, you know, had, uh, we, we had been starting to do, I started to really push on the side hustle, but we had, we didn't even have our EIN number yet. Right. Mm -hmm. We didn't have like all those things there. I was like working on logos and whatnot. And so I go to participate at the CJU panel and on the panel is former president Bill Clinton, the founder, Chad something, the founder of YouTube. 
And like two super legit people that were formerly of President Clinton's like cabinet. Like one's like runs, like this one black woman that like runs a school and is super legit and some other super legit guy. And then me. And I was like, oh shit, I'm like 22, 23. And I'm sitting there and I'm on this panel and <laughs> Bill Clinton says the nicest stuff. He's just like, if ever there was an innovator, she's it. I believe that this is the future of business and yes, that. Yes. He describes all <laughs> wrong. I, I, it just gets it totally wrong. But, but the point is, he said such nice things. And then he asked me, he said, oh, well, so what's the next steps? And I didn't have the heart to tell him it was a side hustle. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. I didn't know if that would resonate. Right. So I just said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is what we're trying to do. Again, didn't know anything about supply chain. I said all these things that made no sense because I was 23 years old, newly 23, and had no experience. And it's so funny, too, because I, I manage younger people now, too. There's something about this generation where we'll speak with confidence regardless of the fact that we know nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Oh my God. And then so like the, the millennials started it and then like Gen Z is really running with it. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the biggest skills I took away from business school. Just learning to, oh, okay. <laughs> to be as with confidence. Agreed. Agreed. Business school was like, here's how you say it. So people don't know, you don't know. It's <laughs> so I made all these things and I was earnest, right? Like I really believed in all these different things, but I also was like, this is what I believe. I believe we can get the ball down to this cough. I believe we can do this. I believe we can do that. But most importantly, yes, this is how we're moving forward to make this something that's more than just a side project, right? And so with that, in my head, I was like, Bill Clinton believes in me. And I walked into my company and I said, yeah, I got to give you my two weeks notice. Um, Bill Clinton believes in me. Um, I didn't know how to explain what this is. So I'm going to go ahead and focus. And in April, I was full time. Um, and that's, that's how I ended up being full time. It was almost like a year full after that before entering business school in 2012. So were your funds on Kickstarter partially operating funds to, to raise to survive since you left your job in addition? Not really. I okay. mean, I had savings and I just lived relatively cheap. Mm. Um, to be honest, like, because like we didn't really get any of the Kickstarter stuff happening until like 2012. And that was just a debacle and disaster in its own right because of so much kind of this misinformation and all these different things. And so many, the costs that go into hardware development. Um, I had saved up money while I was living, while I was like, you know, just generally living. And I didn't have that much undergrad debt. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to Harvard for undergrad and Harvard has the most amazing programs for like student programs. Like people don't realize, I think a lot of Nigerians do, I guess, but if you... <laughs> If you, if you don't make like a quarter million dollars, you basically go to Harvard for almost free. Mm. Like, that's just like, so I didn't have a lot of debt. Um, and that was like very fortunate. And so I was just like, okay. And you just kind of live paycheck to paycheck. And then you have some savings and you, you push from there. Um, and so I had some savings and just kind of kept it simple okay. at that time. And so the president, Barack Obama, our forever president... <laughs> So that trip yeah. happened. Was that before or after? And was it as a result so that of? That was in the middle. That was in the middle of business school, okay. and you know, business school was still by far the hardest two years of my life because I went to I went back to Harvard for business school, um, and so but my company was in New York, so I'm a full time business school student. I'm a full time CEO. I'm commuting five hours, four to five hours every single week for two years. More, sorry, four to five hours each way. So it works out to more like eight to 10 hours each week for two years. And I, I went to business school beyond the kind of pressure of my parents. I went to business school for exactly what we just highlighted. It wasn't for the networking. A lot of people go for networking. I went because I had found myself entering rooms, you know, as the head of the company where I didn't feel confident that I that I would be prepared, right? Like I would enter rooms with people who had five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years more experience than me. And I would always kind of sit there with this apprehension that if, you know, that they might say something, that they might ask me something that I should know, but I don't. And what business school did was give me this crash course and all of these precedents, all these business cases, all these kind of ways of thinking through problems, these different frameworks. 
in a way that showed me kind of like, okay, well, this is the, the standard of how people are looking at things. So when you walk into a room now, you have this confidence of saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to know everything. I'm not trying to know everything. But I went to an institution that gave me a very well-regarded framework of how people think about business, where these top CEOs and leaders went to school um, and how they kind of driven the overall industry and driven the trends. So now I can just sit there and be comfortable in knowing what I don't know and engaging and in building. Um, and so that was an amazing, amazing benefit. And it was the most valuable thing I could have done. But in terms of the pressure on my on my mind, on my soul, on my body. The fact that I entered when I was 24, which I now know is just- It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> 24, 24, again, like, and I was a pretty accomplished 24 year old, but you simply just don't know kind of your personal boundaries and how to guide yourself for success. So I gained like 50 pounds, and like, it was all these different things, and it was just, it was a really hard time, but at the end of the day, I was still able to kind of inch forward with my company and, um, and get more kind of notoriety and, um, to move forward. And but I think most importantly, learn the things I needed to learn to refine my business model for scale. And, you know, most people who go to business school, like you kind of suspend all reality and you let go of work. If you're going full time, you let go of side projects and you're just there to experiment those three years within the resources of that school, within all the experiences. So to, you know, I just want to emphasize just to carry on a side business, to be traveling and working is a, a really a feat you know, not many people take that on. And so I'm so, I understand that the work ethic you have to have and the pressure. And then the reason why you, you would have gained weight doing that, because that is an immense amount of pressure and work. And let's talk about what the team looked like as well. So at this point, you, you talked about you had to whittle it down. Was everyone on the same page? You'd gone from being undergrads, coming up with a fun project to really recognizing that, hey, we have something here. What does that look like as far as shifting it into a business now? Well, the, the, team, the team has kind of changed as I better understood the needs of the company and what we're trying to do. So when the company was first founded, uh, right after I had left my, my job, before I joined business school, we couldn't afford to pay anyone. We had, we had no money. So everyone was an intern and we had like 10 interns. Um, and <laughs> I, we didn't have an office, so the main places we would meet would be my studio apartment in Chelsea, and that would be our laboratory as well. Um, hotel lobbies were great. We find that the fancier hotel lobbies had free, like, you know, water and stuff, <laughs> and, those the, and, and sometimes, like, we'd go to, like, the Harvard Club, which was horrible because they made you, like, dress up, and that was not the, the startup vibe. Um, and so we just kind of managed in that way. And, you know, like any class of, of interns. Some were not as helpful. Others were decently helpful and others were great. And of that first intern class, we ended up hiring when we did get some capital, about two to three individuals, uh, one of whom became my head of product for three years. That was cool. So it was my age as well. And, you know, at that time we were just trying to launch this product and actually make it and successfully in a way that it could be scaled. Um, in business school, it, it was kind of a mix of understanding what goes into the prototyping. You know, the, the, the SOC is actually a really difficult product because it's not only an embedded system, uh, it also has to be soft but durable and all these different things. And so it was kind of shifting and understanding that and launching different programs. We launched our curriculum during that time, um, figured out that it really made the most sense to distribute this product as an education solution so that people wouldn't confuse it as something that would actually solve the bigger problem, which it was never intended to solve, right? It was never intended that people would just be playing soccer nonstop or jumping rope nonstop and they wouldn't need infrastructure. It was designed to educate, to inspire, um, and to provide some kind of immediate relief in the, in the poorest communities. And so we built out a curriculum during this time and we had a small team pushing this forward. But during business school is when I, you know, it just kind of kept the gnawing on me. I realized that the, it still didn't feel like the thing that was close enough to solving the problem. We were definitely reaching people, inspiring people. Um, towards the end of business school, we 
ended up doing quite a few projects with the um, kind of like, I think it was like the fourth or fifth generation of the socket that was very durable. Um, and we were able to work with different communities and actually start to see efficacy in the way that we were affecting how people think in terms of their creative confidence, right, to solve the problem. Ended up distributing over 50,000 units of the product right after that I graduated from business school. But it was, there was one specific class I took called Building and Sustaining Successful Enterprises, BSSC. And, you know, one of the first questions they asked you in that class is, what is the job to be done? And are you very simply and very directly solving that job to be done? And in my mind, I was like, the job to be done is universal access to power, to resilient, cost-effective power. And the, the distribution, like the scaling of this product, while it's exciting, while it's inspirational, it's not yielding the exact result we need for the job to be done. And if I really want to lean into this, I'm going to say, do we want to be a, like, you know, so we're kind of like a sports tech company at the time. Do we want to be a more of a sports company making like energy generating soccer balls, partnering with Adidas or whatever, or do we want to be an energy company? And I said to the team, listen, no matter what we do, we will not make the soccer ball better than Adidas. We will not make a jump rope better than Hasbro. But these companies, both of them have come to us to ask for advice on how we created this micro embedded power technology. So that's what we need to lean into. Not just because that's what we do better than anyone else, but because that actually gets us closer to the job to be done. By having these decentralized power systems in our environment to push forward to ubiquitous power access. And so the, the you know, I think the people who kind of came more for the, the sex appeal of the play part, that threw them. But there were those who also found that to be very exciting. And so what we found is that it was a natural shift for some people who were there for three to four years, that they would move on to other organizations um, or stay on our advisory board and still have shares and still be very active parts of the community. And I would start to rebuild the team thinking now beyond play and looking at more of a, a general embedded power platform. And so that's what happened in 2015. That's what we ended up raising our Series A on, that concept as well. And that's what kind of brought me to the next stage of the company. So Jessica, I want to make sure I'm really clear and that everyone is really clear about what the company does today. So can you just, in your own words, explain um, how, what the business model is? And is it that you, you provide this renewable energy to organizations through these different products, which are under that umbrella or not? you know, clarify that for me. Sure. So today the company is called Uncharted Power. We've been called, a, we changed our name from Uncharted Play to Uncharted Power at the end of 2017. So it's been now for, you know, entering into almost three years. And what we actually make is infrastructure technology. So the easiest way to explain this, because we are in now so deep that we're in the world that a lot of people don't understand. There was a scary right. techno babble world. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna frame it very simply. Yes. Um, in energy, you can think about the technologies almost in three buckets. You can think about power generation, power transmission, and power storage. When you're thinking about power transmission, the problems are pretty obvious regardless of where you are in the world. Like in the developing world, you just you either see very haggard cables or you see no cables at all. Like there might be solar, there might be whatever, but it's very difficult to actually send power to distribute where it needs to go, right? Um, here in the United States, look at the things that are going on in California, right, with the fires. That's because our infrastructure here for power transmission is anywhere from 70 to 150 years old. And so we as a company, we're a power access company. We're 100% focused on building infrastructure technology to build up the way people get access to renewable, resilient, and cost-effective power in their communities. And specifically, the platform technology that we have developed and that we're bringing to communities is a technology that totally revamps the way we think about power transmission. And so this is massive because we started as a company that was making energy generating play products. We then transitioned to a company that was making energy generating products like 
energy generating speed bumps or energy generating strollers. Uh, and then we realized that when you started talking about infrastructure, like the, even these energy generating speed bumps are kind of useless if you don't have a very reliable, resilient way to get power from the speed bump to where it's needed. And we started to see that the transmission of power hadn't been updated in over a hundred years. And that's why, and we saw about two and a half years ahead, the things that we're seeing now, we we're like, this is going to be a massive issue. Even when you think about 5G, the way that you install power cabling, uh, either above head or below ground trenching, so expensive, so uh, inaccessible, impossible to upgrade. It's, it's kind of holding back the entire world. And so what we've done now is taken our expertise and putting like power technology inside of things. So whether it's putting it into soccer balls or drum books or anything like that, we've taken that expertise to look at how we can essentially create like an internet for power in the ground. And so we've developed a smart, sustainable paver that you can install as road, that you can install as sidewalk, that you can install for any ground use. And it's the networking hardware and software to distribute power anywhere you need it, when you need it. And, and you can interconnect all the different types of power. So imagine if instead of seeing cabling above head, it was in the ground. You can interconnect homes with solar and now they can share power easily and efficiently. You can interconnect kinetics, uh, you know, speed bumps and things like that. You can interconnect windmills and all of this creates this platform technology in the ground. It's kind of like the infrastructure that you use to make the internet real, right? Or it's, it's like doing that for power. Mm. So it's, it's not something that most people really can grasp. Like if I ask most people, how does the internet work? They can't answer it, but <laughs> right. all, you know what I mean? So the best I can really say is, but you know, you need it. Right. So right. instead of, if, you, if we were creating really cool websites before, like soccer balls and jump ropes, those are all really cool websites, but the internet was dial up. So we are now building the internet for decentralized power. That's what Uncharted Power does today. And I would have never gotten here as a girl who studies psychology and economics and has an MBA and has just been Googling this stuff for a decade. There's no way in hell I would have gotten here if I didn't have the side hustle I had a decade ago. And just like I said, if I had planned to be where I am today back then, I, it would have been impossible. I would have been like, oh my God, what? How does that work? But once you stay in a space and you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and the big thing was when I would be in a room and you look around and you'd be like, y'all ain't actually doing shit. And then you keep looking and you talk to some like chairmen of utility companies and you're like, wait a minute, you ain't doing shit. And then we actually have former utility executives who quit their jobs after seeing how much they messed things up and invested hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money in our company because they were like, yeah, y'all the future. And so I, I, I think for me, the, the real lesson of it is a diverse team, a young team led by a black girl living in Harlem is developing the technologies that you know, everyone from Magic Johnson, who does a lot of infrastructure development, to multiple utility, you know, executives, you know, to different, got to Disney, right, who invested in us in 2018, all said, yeah, like, y'all are the future of infrastructure. How do we get in on this? And it's, it all started with a soccer ball and a class project. And so if that's not something to say, hey, don't limit yourself. Just take it one step at a time. I don't know what you could say. Hey guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. The online learning community is offering our listeners two months of free premium membership. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. Right now, Skillshare is such a great resource to have so you can stay inspired, express yourself, and connect to a community of creatives with fascinating classes on topics like how to start a business online, e-commerce essentials, email marketing, and so much more. You can also take non-business classes like drawing or writing, and that can be a great way to help manage stress, practice mindfulness, and feel connected to one another. 
I recently took a Skillshare class called Context is Key, Social Media Strategy in a Noisy Online World. And I just found it so valuable as a refresher on creating a channel-specific social media strategy for my brand. So as you can see, Skillshare offers classes designed for real life and all of the circumstances that come with it. Creative self-discovery and expression can settle your mind. I know it does for me. And spontaneous acts of creativity can help break up the routine of a day indoors. So Skillshare short classes are a perfect fit for that. And you'll create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives who provide encouragement, communication, and inspiration. So explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro, where you'll get two free months of premium membership. That's two free months of premium membership at skillshare.com slash side hustle pro. And a lot of people lose money in these years as they're figuring out their business, as they're testing out new models. What has been your experience? I mean, I think the key thing is to always figure out a way to generate alternative revenue. For us, you know, I was able to take our, our narrative, like we did a Best Buy commercial in the early days that helped us get some funding while we were figuring things out. Even, even when I knew that the move was to go beyond soccer balls and jump ropes, we were able to sell those to like oil and gas companies for the corporate social responsibility programs in Nigeria and Latin America. And that helped us raise millions of dollars in, in revenue. Um, to use to initially fund a lot of our development as well. Um, I started doing different speaking gigs as well and just different programs wherever I could to be able to have enough money to live and put that money into the company. And so in a way, while you're figuring things out, you always have to have a side hustle. You always have to kind of push from there. But if you, if you really believe in where you're going and you also believe in the value of the journey, hopefully it's kind of a, a net win for you. If you had a chance to start everything all over again, from side hustle to full-time entrepreneur, what, what do you think you'd do differently? I would say, I guess I could have gotten here sooner, but it, it would have taken kind of like a delusion of grandeur that I just don't think is possible. You know, like <laughs> I, it took me time to kind of realize, hmm, maybe we're not just the company who makes play products. Well, maybe we're not just the company that makes consumer products. Well, Maybe we're, we're not just the company who makes infrastructure products. Well, maybe we could be the company that's doing project finance. Like we kept on moving into the worlds that we were told were not for us and that I specifically just believed wasn't for me. And so I, I don't necessarily think I would say that I, I wish I had that confidence in the beginning because I think that humility also meant that I did the work to, to, to ensure that we were ready for that next step. Um, but one thing that I did for a while, uh, especially post business school is that I, I always had this feeling that there was someone who could be hired that would just be better suited for something. Like I would kind of put myself in a box and say, okay, I'm an innovator, but I'm not this, or I'm not this and I'm not that. And each time I would do that, I would find that it wasn't true that, you know, I was kind of underestimating the role that intellect and passion and perseverance play in pushing forward a new idea and a new startup. And if you hire someone who you think might have some fancy background or anything like that, if they don't have that same passion and perseverance, especially, then in many ways, sometimes that experience they're bringing just isn't as relevant. And so there were a few kind of like mistake hires that I made. And it, it happens, right? It's totally normal that, that at the end of the day, we, we found that bringing people with the right kind of culture made more sense. And that happened even from the beginning. I remember when we were making our first prototypes of the socket and we hired an engineering firm um, and because they had made these fancy things and all this stuff. And I also had like my, my engineers and me, like just like whatever we could get from the store prototyping things. And the engineering firm, the first product they made, they brought to me was a three pound quote unquote soccer ball felt more like a bowling ball. Um, and they're like here. And I was like, I'm sorry, we spent X amount of money, like just by pulling capital from friends, family, whatever. We've given you guys this money and you've given me a bowling ball. And I literally just said, Hmm, let me ask a question. Cause they were based on California. I was like, have any of you guys ever been to the developing world or sub-Saharan Africa? 
and they all just paused and they said um one guy was like i went on morocco once and i was like okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so, and so then I went to my team and at the time, like, you know, the, the people I was working with, you know, the, the, the individual who ended up becoming head of product for me for a bit, he's my age, but he's from Mexico and he got it. And we started sketching out ideas and we ended up sketching out and creating a version of the ball that was less than a pound, right? We, and, and like, that was the first moment when I was like, huh, experience doesn't always mean everything because we literally designed a better ball. Right. We, and then, and that happened so many times to the point that over the span of about eight years, like even now I'm just kind of like, okay, I may not know what I don't know in a certain space as we keep expanding and growing, but I cannot doubt my role that like that I play in kind of owning the vision and leading this and kind of harnessing that magic that a founder has when it's, when it's something that's still kind of coming to life, you know? Um, you cannot outsource innovation. You cannot outsource perseverance. You cannot outsource making the impossible possible. So like, that's just, that's just it. Right. And I think that, um, if I had known that from the beginning, I definitely would have saved some money. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely would have saved some money. Right. Um, and getting to where we are today. But yeah, you're right in that we all have to go through it. We all have to experience the bad hires or the bad fits to figure out, hey, why is it to dig deeper and say, why is this not working? What could be done differently? And you also raise an important point in you bring up the who am I syndrome, as I like to call it, not imposter syndrome per se, but that every once in a while question like, you know, am I, the, can I do this? Who am I to do, like, can this actually work? And you forget sometimes that you don't need to bring in some outside person with different credentials, or you don't need to be the expert at everything. At the end of the day, you were given the vision, you have this drive and something inside of you that sees something that no one else can see. So yes, you are the right person to lead. Yes, you're the right person to um, govern and, and structure and figure this out. And I think it's just so important that we remember that, that we're going to have moments where we're like, well, you know, I didn't study, I don't have a PhD in SATS, I don't have a PhD in engineering, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of the most critical things too, because, so first of all, on one hand, I, you know, I used to tell people, part of the reason why I'm able to think out of the box is because I, I didn't even know what the parameters of the box were when it was happening, right? Like I knew, I knew rocket scientists who played soccer who couldn't believe that I came up with the soccer ball. And I was like, well, <laughs> you, guys, you, know, you guys were just so focused on all the no's. Right. And so it's, mm -hmm. a, it's really a balance to, to take that information and grow with it, but not let it limit you because you'd be so surprised how easy it is to kind of couch yourself with the no's and couch yourself in that, in that space. And for me, you know, it's something I really worked on to take the learnings from from business and, you know, what take the learnings that I've gotten over this last decade, right? I'm a very different person from an experienced perspective than I was when I was 22, but then still have that push, that passion, that excitement that gets me up. That, that takes a lot of mental work. It takes a lot of self-care, um, a lot of meditation, a lot of kind of looking inward and then, and then making decisions about how to move forward. But, you know, one thing I do like to tell people that I think helped especially as we made the shift into infrastructure. You know, <laughs> when President Obama was elected, it was a very amazing, exciting day. Um, and I think he's a brilliant man. And so while it was so exciting to have a black president, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, and now I believe I can be president because I was like, he's amazing. Like, he's brilliant. He's, he has a lot of swag, like X, Y, Z, right? Like, I even felt that way about Bill Clinton. I'm like, this guy's on it. Um, even though I still feel like both Michelle and Hillary are like, again, well, they're, they're even more amazing, they're even more amazing but <laughs> yes. that's not the point. We're not here to talk about that. Um, and so I never kind of walked through the streets thinking, oh, I can do anything. You know, it was more just like, okay, like, again, that same kind of concept of, I just have to really make sure I find out what I'm the best at and lean into that. I have to make sure I only do what I'm the best at. And what we need to start asking ourselves is not, am I the best person to do something, but am I the worst? So now when I walk into certain rooms and I do certain things, I'm not sitting here saying, am I the best for this? Or am I the best for that? 
when you think about your side hustle, when you think about your business, we don't have any time in the world that we're living in to be sitting here wondering if it should be me, right? Or like, why me? Why not me? And, and I think when we frame it that way, you'll find that you have the confidence to do anything. And that's why, you know, I'm over here, not even blinking, talking about building smart, sustainable communities. We're working on a pilot right now. We're really going to showcase the way that people should be getting their power and connectivity in their communities. And so I think we, you know, because we're not always in these rooms, we assume that infrastructure is solved by these scary, like these super smart people or all these things are being done by people that we can't relate to. And it's the first thing that every single CEO needs to realize is uh, <laughs> those rooms are not filled with anyone who's better than you. Mm -hmm. And based on the way this world has gone, <laughs> there's a very solid chance that those rooms are filled with people who are actually dumber than you, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, you're a member of the LGBTQ, if you're anything that's considered an other, you've been left out of those rooms. Um, and so there, there's, a, there, there's just kind of this malaise that I think that's happening there. And this is the time to push. Uh, it's at the very least, it's very rare that you will be the worst person to do it. And you remind me of what Michelle Obama said in, um, I don't remember if it was in the book directly or just on one of her tour stops where she said, you know, I used to be intimidated about being in these rooms and I got into those rooms and I realized <laughs> these people are not that smart. You know, there are a variety of reasons for which people ascend to the level they ascend to. And we just have to remember that, like no one is smarter than you. And Speaking yeah, or that, again, like it's not, it's not that I think anyone should walk into a room saying I'm the smartest person in it, but yeah. you shouldn't immediately count yourself out. Right, and right. Really Never count yourself out. It, it, it happens way too frequently. Um, and it's, the, the, the world is worse for it. We, mm -hmm. we all, it goes back to why, you know, the socket was even invented. Like, how do, I am a big fan of a world where people have the agency to try to make things better um, and they feel like they have a shot for it, you know, and I, I'm so happy that you invited me on here to, to share, you know, in some hopefully somewhat coherent way, how you can go from a class project, how you can go from like a, a product that started out as a hamster ball and a shape to charge flashlight, I got a target to a company that, you know, was the first renewable energy investment by, by Disney that's developing, you know, a, a smart, sustainable city pilot, you know, domestically, that's, you know, that's, that's building the infrastructure to embed fiber optic and, and solar power cabling and, and IOT sensors. I mean, we live in an age where almost anything's possible if you push for it. It's, it's incredibly inspiring, Jessica. And before we get into the lightning round, I would be remiss to not touch on this. So, you know, you are credited by or listed by TechCrunch as being, what is it, the 13th Black female founder who has raised more than a million in outside investment. So my question for you is, how did you know, one, how did you know it was time to raise? And then two, and not only time, but that it would be a good decision for your business. And then how did you approach the process to have that kind of results? So I, I knew it was time to raise in, in business school simply because, you know, we, we needed capital to be able to do more. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing until I had already generated revenue um, with like the kind of first proof of concept version of the business. And so... It was actually an interesting process. First, we did a kind of like seed round uh, convertible note. Um, and in that way, I was very lucky. I was able to just lean on the community from business school to see what we could raise. We raised like just under about 800K or so. And that's what kept us going for like the second half of the, basically like the second half of my business school experience. So uh, first, you know, you know, did the seed round while I was in business school, leaned in on some people I had met, you know, just kind of getting some press um, during the first, during like the first two years after college, as well as individuals in my network at business school that, that very much helped, was able to raise about 800K there, was able then to really lean in and say, okay, if we're going to look at what this technology can do beyond play products, we are going to need more capital. 
I felt like venture was a very scary place for black women in particular. So I took the route that a lot of black women take, which is trying to generate revenue first. So I was able, as I mentioned earlier, to get different oil and gas companies in Nigeria to purchase balls to distribute in their communities as part of their corporate social responsibility. Um, I generated about $6 million in revenue from that with a 64% gross profit margin. And so I took that um, approximately, like, you know, $4 million or so and really invested it in the R&D to create the platform that showed that we can embed energy, micro-energy technologies into things beyond just a soccer ball and a jump rope. Um, in doing that and kind of showing that traction, was able to start looking to uh, in, uh, actually launch our Series A raise in 2015. And, um, you know, that was a really interesting experience because despite having, you know, the traction of Obama and press and, you know, even having those sales, I was afraid to, again, raise venture. I thought we would just get angel investment because in my mind, I was like, these venture capitalists, they don't understand me. They don't look like me. You know, they might like me now because everything seems fun, but I know that business is very much cyclical. And it's when times are rough that you need to kind of have a intangible kind of connection with your founder, right? Um, with, the, with your portfolio company. And they're not going to innately understand how I was raised and who I am and what is going to help me get through this, right? Because they, they just don't get me, right? And I remember um, I was speaking to a representative from one of the VCs and I kind of just told him this. I was like, listen, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and I may have gone to the same school, but he was, you know, he wasn't on the step team. I was, you know, like, we are different <laughs> like, you know, I don't think these, I don't think these investors are going to get me. I'm afraid to raise money from them. And he said something that really helped me get through it. He was like, Jessica, um, Mark Zuckerberg could have never invented the socket. A good investor will understand that the key thing is that the founder in very intimately understands the problem that they are trying to solve. Mark Zuckerberg had a problem with getting a date, and so he invented Facebook. Your family needs power, and so you invented the socket. And you need to lean into that. You need to lean into the thing that makes you good at your job. And when that happened, I was like, wow, okay. And so I did that and I started to lean in and what ended up happening was that, you know, we raised half our round in, um, in Silicon Valley, half our round with uh, executives in Sub-Saharan Africa, but the total amount that we ended up raising, seven million, ended up being at that time the largest Series A that was ever raised by a black woman in history. And I couldn't believe it. It was, it, it was such a surreal experience because again, I was the girl who was the, I'm the second, I'm the, I had no dreams of this. I didn't plan on this. I didn't want it. I just did it. Um, and when that happened, I, I remember waking up the next morning and making kind of two decisions. One, that was when I moved our company from downtown in Tribeca up to Harlem because I kind of really took to heart this concept of not code switching and leaning in. So I was like, how do I create an environment that ensures that we don't become just kind of like, you know, a, a black washed version of everyone else. So we're not moving to Silicon Valley. We're not staying in Silicon Alley. We're going to be here. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I said, okay, I need to set some goals around this. Um, this will not make sense for me if I'm the only one. So the new kind of goal, the new mantra for the company for me is to serve and inspire. And, and specifically, I remember telling myself, this only makes sense if we can not only lean into who we are, but do so in such a loud way that the world not only gets a solution, they get an example of how the solution can be built by someone who doesn't look like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, or Elon Musk. Because I need it to be that my daughters do come into a world where they can be so incredibly mediocre and it's okay. Where they don't have to do, build a multi-million dollar business before they can raise $7 million, which by the way was the highest amount raised by a black woman in history at the time, but it was the average amount raised in venture funding that year. And so that's what pushed me into that next level. And what would you say is next for Uncharted Power? So 
beyond surviving the corona pandemic, um, <laughs> uh, which is uh, just real for everyone. No, um, we're actually really excited um, about the uh, this year and next year in particular. We've spent the last three years transitioning from you know a consumer technology company into an infrastructure technology, transitioning all of our IP into our infrastructure solution. And we spent a lot of last year actually getting third-party laboratory tests to verify and rate and certify our system to be safe, to be structurally sound, and all of that. And it's proven to be you know, so innovative that UL, the company that tests things to make sure they're safe if they have electronics, had to create an entirely new category for what we created because no one has had systems that can be installed in the ground in the way that we have them and be so structurally sound. Um, and so the next, this year and next year is really focused on completing the uh, development certification and testing on this system that we have and deploying it uh, in a pilot, in an actual public land city pilot that anyone can go to in a place where people really live to fully demonstrate the, the future of what power and data infrastructure should be. Um, and not just demonstrate it from a technological perspective, but also showcase what the model should be with the city, with that municipality, and the financing model so that this is a technology that can be deployed in underserved communities as well. And so I'm really excited to have that. We just announced about you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that Magic Johnson joined our board. He's done a yes, lot of I work uh, in underserved communities. You know, he's um, gone in and, and developed a lot of his infrastructure fund as well. Um, so he's bringing a lot of expertise to what we're doing. And we have a few other partners that we're working with and talking to uh, that, you know, once, once things kind of shift back, um, we're excited to share. Um, but even during this time, you know, shifting to remote work, our team's still incredibly busy developing you know, the roadmaps for how we think people can use our technology for smart cities, looking at how we can take our curriculum and, our, and you know, the, the work that we've done with our legacy projects um, and actually digitize that. Because we, again, still want people to see all the problems in their world as opportunities that they can solve, teach people how to be inventors and have that agency. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very exciting, I think, for us to get to the point where over the next two years, we can again show people that the world that we all want isn't that far out of reach, um, especially now that we live in a world where more localized services are going to be needed, whether it's for digitized health or you know just needing more cost-effective renewable power because people are now using more electricity in their homes. Um, we're really excited to play a major role in that. And, and that's one of the biggest takeaways I hope everyone has from this episode. It is to see problems and recognize the opportunity for you to solve them and to recognize that it doesn't always have to be that way. So now we're going to do a quick lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. No need to elaborate. Are you ready? <laughs> Sure, let's go for it. Number one, what is a resource that helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh my God, <laughs> a resource that's helped me in my business. Oh my God, this is so random, but like working out, like make sure you work out and meditate every day. Yes. <laughs> Number two, what has been the best business book that you have directly applied to your business? It's a tie, the hard thing about hard things and the uh, high growth handbook. High, uh, hand, the hard thing about hard things is about, is from uh, Horowitz. Uh, yeah, uh, Ben Horowitz. And um, the high growth handbook is by Eli something. I forget, but yeah, those are okay. two. We will link to it. Alrighty, number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? Monday through Friday, my workouts and my meditation. Alrighty. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you in your business? I make a to-do list every single day. I've been doing this now. Well, not really Saturdays and Sundays because I try to chill. Monday through Friday, I've been doing this since I was 20 years old, since this whole thing started. And that to-do list, I put everything from like wake up and shower, basic things to like every, like I literally have my whole day blocked out fully blocked out. And I always put a few things on that to-do list that, that like I would never have time to actually do. I find that if you make a list of seven things, 
if you thought you only had time for three, you'll be surprised you're getting that five. It keeps me focused. It keeps me goal oriented and it keeps me to, to make me make sure I'm never satisfied. Right. So I'm constantly pushing. It has been the number one thing I have done for over a decade to get me to where I am right now. Like that, that to-do list is critical. Oh, You'd be surprised how fucking aimless you can be if you don't have a to-do list. <laughs> and finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women side hustlers and entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Make sure that the side hustle is something that you love so much that you'll do it even when you're tired after work, that you'll do it when other people are sleeping, that you'll do it when other people are going to parties. That's step one, because you need to do, you need to do your job. You need to make sure you get paid. So that means this needs to be the thing that you're doing that takes the place of the thing that you do to dis, to kind of recharge. That takes the place, of the thing that you would do to kind of, you know, let off steam. So that's step one. If it doesn't satisfy that, this is never going to work. Step two is to kind of what I said earlier, like, don't focus on having this massive plan. Focus on winning the hour, whatever hours you have, and keep pushing forward and align on your strategy and your ultimate goal, you know, versus just kind of like these, these plans that can change. Um, you know, I think you really have to enjoy the journey. Uh, really, really enjoy the journey and do whatever you can to improve your prioritization skills as much as possible. The better you are at understanding how to prioritize the tasks and the things that are going on in your life and around this idea that you have, the more that you love and have passion for this idea, the better your chances are of successfully moving it forward while still having the job that pays you. I like that. And so where can people connect with you and Uncharted Power after this episode? You can follow me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most active. That's uh, at Jessomat, J-E-S-S-O-M-A-T-T. Um, I also have a Twitter, same thing, but I uh, like, I like repost things. I don't do that much there. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know tweet and work. That is not, it's not on my to-do list, right? So, you know, but you can follow me there too. But on Instagram, um, I do, I do post things uh, like somewhat frequently. Um, you can also follow uh, Uncharted Power on Instagram and, and Twitter as well. Um, and what I'm really looking forward to figuring out over the next couple of weeks and months are ways that I can kind of set up maybe an AMA for anyone who's trying to figure out a solution to a hairy problem, trying to solve uh, a, a bigger problem, a problem that feels bigger than them. You know, I think that's something where I feel really fortunate to have had those experiences and will be looking to provide those services soon. But uh, the best way to find out about that is definitely to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and as soon as I have more details, I will share them. All right. So there you have it, you guys. That's Jessica O. Matthews of Uncharted Power. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being in the guest chair, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.